Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. We're continuing today uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 25 is where we're going to be. Uh, I recently saw that Facebook keeps throwing this ad at me. You know how like if you hover over something long enough, like they're going to keep popping it up every time you're on there. You know how that happens? Well, I, I hovered over this one for a while because I thought it was pretty funny and I really thought about clicking on it. Um, but it was for a t-shirt being advertised for Mother's Day. Um, and it said, um, I don't say it out loud, but my favorite child is my son-in-law. Um, so I was really tempted to buy that for Brittany's mom. Um, but, uh, but then there's the whole awkward thing of like which son-in-law and all. And so I just wouldn't be clear enough. So I just decided uh, to, to not, not go down that street. But, uh, but yeah, when we, we, we laugh at that because it's funny, but... Um, But this idea of favoritism in families is an issue we're going to be looking at today and and how that affects things, how that works out, especially when it relates to parents and kids. Um, Today we're in Genesis 25 and we're going to be looking at uh, at Jacob and Esau and uh, we'll pick up um, a little bit of what we covered, uh, covered last week just to give us some context. Uh, But actually it was two weeks ago. But Genesis 25, starting in verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? And so she went in to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. And so they called him Esau. And afterward his brother came out, and his hand holding Esau's heel, so that his name was called Jacob. Isaac was six years old when she bore them. Okay, now we're jumping into this week's passage. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so we see right here from the start of looking at at these one, these boys were already fighting within the womb, right? So any parents that have had two kids that are just always at each other, you're not the only one, all right? Uh, but I would encourage you to maybe not follow uh, Isaac and Rebecca's lead on exactly how you deal with that. Uh, because what they did was uh, dad said, this is the one I like. Mom said, this is the one I like. And it obviously was not a secret because it's recorded in scripture. Um, so they didn't hide it very well that this is my favorite kid. This is your favorite kid. And this is the environment that these kids grew up in. It was this environment of, of not, not really getting along, and this issue of favoritism uh, came up. 
And, uh, and so our first point today is that what we're going to see throughout the rest of this passage is the fact that favoritism breeds conflict. Favoritism breeds conflict. And so as a parent, if, if, you're, if you're harboring that in your heart and showing that in your household, then that's just going to set up your family for bad things down the road. Um, if, if you're in that spirit of, I, I like this kid over that kid, and then you don't understand why that kid fights with this kid, you're kind of missing part of the picture, I think. Um, but anyway, so uh, these, these boys, they grow up in this, this environment of favoritism, and um, it's sad that they didn't already have the rest of Scripture at this point because one of their great, 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 great grandsons had some very wise wisdom. I don't really know how many greats there are between Isaac and Solomon. But anyway, one of their offspring ultimately said this in Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-one. He said, to show partiality is not good. To show partiality is not good. It's not a good thing. And so when you're, and if they had just known that and applied that, then... It might have been a very different story we're looking at today. Uh, But instead, uh, this is where we are. And so the story goes on. Uh, So there are little boys of us obviously grown up by this point because Jacob's cooking and Esau's hunting. But uh, verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. So here you have two brothers. And we can kind of look at this from each of their point of view. Um, some of us might look at, uh, at Jacob's side of things and say, well, man, way to go, Jacob. You, you get yours, bro, right? Like, um, take advantage of the situation, right? Like, make the most of it. Which I don't really think is in line with what God would really have of us, especially when we look at the New Testament. That um, I don't think he really wants us exploiting our siblings who are starving. Um, but, uh, but that's the route that, that Jacob goes here. And we also can look at Esau's side of the coin. We're like, dude, like, really, how hungry were you? Like, are you really about to drop dead if you don't have anything to eat? Like, is there absolutely nothing else anywhere around that you're willing to give up your birthright for this? And so we, we see here um, this, this issue with, between these two um, where... All of, it's all working out in this just mess of relationship between them. And most of what we see for going on after this is that mess continues um, between these two. And so to help us really understand what Esau gave up, I thought it would be good for us to clarify exactly what a birthright meant. Um, so the birthright meant that when their father passes away, the firstborn would get a double portion and be considered the head of the household. So that meant for well, there being two boys, as far as the inheritance, um, what, the one with the birthright would get two-thirds, and then the other one would get one-third. Um, the one that got two-thirds would also be responsible uh, for representing the family, considered the head of the family from that point moving forward. 
Um, but yet here, Esau has given that up. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my extra third. So it's not like he gave up his whole inheritance. He just gave up half of it, right? Um, and when you, when you think about it, uh, Abraham, we saw him as he was a very wealthy man uh, by the end of his life, right? A uh, very powerful, wealthy man. All of that went to who? Isaac. And so Isaac would be a very wealthy man at this point as well. And so we're not talking about like he gave up maybe three camels or something. Like, no, like he, he gave up like flocks and herds and servants and all kinds of, of wealth um, for a bowl of stew. Um, which, you know, like I know we all can kind of feel uh, the, the effects of inflation on our food costs today. Um, <laughs> But I don't think any of us have given up a third of an inheritance for a bowl of stew just yet, right? Um, and so, but that's where Esau is. He's, he's to the point of like, man, if, if I don't get this, if I don't get something to eat, I'm going to die, right? And he might have been. He might have been to that point of starvation. Um, but uh, what we see, again, between these two is an issue of self-centeredness. And just like favoritism breeds conflict, self-centeredness also breeds conflict. Um, because where, where is Jacob coming from? I mean, I don't know about you, but I would hope for my two kids, if one of them is starving and the other one has food, they would say, I love you. Here is food. Don't die. Right? Like, like I would hope that would be where their heart would be at for their sibling. Um, but where Jacob goes is... What can I get out of this? Here's what I want. By the way, you only have that birthright because you beat me out by a few seconds. I mean, I was holding on to your heel while you came out. Mom's been talking about it our whole lives. I know this. I almost beat you out of that hole, but no, you beat me. And so I want that birthright, right? So obviously this has been stewing in Jacob's mind. This has been sitting there the whole time. And so he's, see what I did there, stewing? Yeah, I didn't even catch it either, thanks. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this has been going on in his mind the whole time, so he sees this opportunity, he's like, I'm going to take it. But he's focused on self, he's focused on him, what he's going to get out of it, right? Equally, Esau, like we already kind of said, like, really, how hungry were you? But he's looking at a place of self-preservation, He's looking at a place of like, hey, which, oh, well, I'm, I know I'm just going to die if I don't eat this too right now, right? And, and so they both are coming from this self-centered kind of place, and that equally breeds conflict. And so the, the, the truth is, and the reality is, is we all have that bent. We all have the bent of we lean towards what's best for myself, what do I get out of this situation? What is, what, is, what is it that I stand to gain from this, right? Um, I recently went to City of West Kelowna. They had an open house because uh, they're doing construction projects and all that. And part of that's right in front of my house. So I wanted to go find out what they're doing um, there and what they're not doing. So I was talking to the, the people there and all this. It was a good presentation. They had good stuff set up. It clarified things for me. I was very thankful for that. Um, but it's interesting hearing all the conversations that were happening in the room. Uh, because basically everybody that was there, 
really the heart of their main question was, what do I get out of this? So you're planning this, how do I stand to benefit from this, right? And I don't say that to accuse anybody, because honestly, that's half the reason I was there, all right? Um, but that's where naturally our hearts tend towards, is, is what do I get out of this? Where, where, where do I stand to benefit? In fact, I would say in, in our, especially our Western society culture, uh, this is probably one of the core foundations of our society, is the personal kind of selfish gain mentality. We have a whole culture built on this. And, uh, and so it shouldn't surprise us that when that Jacob goes this route here. And in fact, you know, if, if we're honest, some of us might even cheer him on like, yeah, dude, you finally got it, man, right? Like he, he beat you out, but you, you got it in the end. Way to go, dude. Um, but then this teaching from Jesus comes to mind. In Matthew 7, uh, 9 through 11, it says this, or which one of you if his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so Jesus is using this as an illustration to say, hey, even you who are evil, which who is that? Us, right? Even you who are evil, if your kid needs something, you're going to do everything you can to meet that need, right? Equally, if your kid needs something, you want your other kid to help them, right? Like that's where, where our hearts are, even as the, the evil people that we are. And Jesus uses this illustration to then build it and show us that, yeah, that's where you are, even in how bad you are. Think about how good God is. If you just ask him for something, man, he's going to want to give you something so much even better than what you're asking for. You know, he's, you, you don't ask him for bread and he gives you rocks. You don't ask him for what you need and he sends snakes at you. He takes care of you. He's your father. And that's what we want to see emulated and modeled in our families as well. Is this kind of genuine love and concern for each other. Because love meets needs without promise of personal gain in return, while selfishness exploits those who are in need for personal gain. So which one do we want to be marked by as followers of Christ? Do we want to be marked by people who, who want to meet needs that shows his love? Or do we want to be marked by being seen just as selfish people who want to exploit those who are in need to get our own stuff out of it. And so, so yeah, we, we see this, and we see this throughout Scripture, that, that this kind of call uh, for this. Um, and yet, the, the, so we, we can definitely see that's, that's how God would want us to act. But the really cool thing about God is he's so much bigger than even we can imagine, than even we can comprehend. And so even God saying, hey, this is how you should act. Jacob, you should feed your brother. Esau, you should give to your brother stuff that you have as well. Even though God says this is how you should act, God, even before these two were born, told Rebecca what? The older is going to serve the younger. The younger is going to be the one that's the, ultimately the head of the household after Isaac is gone. Before all of this ever happened, before the boys are even born, when they're still in the womb, God said, here's what's going to happen. 
And this is my plan, this is my will, and this is how I want it to work out. And that's exactly what happened. It happened in a kind of a weird way with this messed up story with messed up people. But isn't that true of our lives too? Of how good God is that he can take messed up people in a messed up story and turn something good out of it. Even though we mess it up so bad, he being so good can take that and make something good and beautiful out of it. And that's his plan. That's what he's doing here in this story. And so we get to see kind of just that glimpse into how good God is and what, what he's doing for us. Now here, here at Potter's, we say that, that we're here to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus. And, uh, and so just tag, side note, very excited about next Sunday for, Sunday for baptisms because that's a big part of following Jesus is following him in baptism. Um, and so uh, Nicole uh, Reedman is going to be baptized next Sunday. Uh, so if many of you guys know Kim and Austin, and uh, Nicole is uh, Kim's son, uh, Austin's sister. So, uh, so yeah, please come out for that. Uh, but equally, maybe that's a step for you that you haven't taken in your life where you say, I need to follow Jesus in baptism. Come talk to me this week. We'll, we'll, we're always happy to add another one on. Um, but, but yeah, glad that's coming up um, next Sunday. Uh, but yeah, we want to be people who are following Jesus and following Jesus well. And, uh, and so what, did, what was Jesus' example if it came to this story? If Jesus were, were inserted in the place of Jacob, what do you think would have happened? Well, Jesus constantly fed people, right? I mean, if he was, he's just, oh, five loaves, a couple fish, no problem. Here you go, thousands, eat, eat, right? He's constantly meeting people's needs only to have them ultimately turn away from him, Right? You have to just assume that some of those 5,000 who fed and, had, or fed and had their bellies full were some of the people there at, at the end screaming, crucify him. And yet Jesus loved them and he showed that love regardless of what he knew they were going to do. That same is true for us. He, he went to the cross to die on the cross out of love for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with God. And we know that that, that payment was received and was marked, paid in full by the fact that he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death, and in that we have hope. The ultimate consequence of our sin has been taken care of. And he carries us through that, and he's the one who matters. Because you see, um, he is so good. And we want to, as followers of him, as people who've experienced his salvation, we want to be people who are obedient to him, who are good examples of him, who show others that love that he has shown us. Paul says this in Romans 12. He gives us this instruction, talking specifically about your enemies. In this situation, Jacob and Esau, I think, could be considered enemies. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is the New Testament teaching on how, how we should treat one another. Is that we should treat others with love and respect. Even if they're our enemy, even if they're coming at us with the worst things in the world. 
we should treat them with kindness, love, and respect. So not from a mentality of get yours, get what's coming to you, like I got I to gotta protect mine, right? I got to swindle, I got to, I mean, this is just kind of the introduction to Jacob as the con man, which is kind of how he operates, and that's what we see him uh, as we move through Scripture. And so instead of that, I encourage you to show love, not exploitation. Show love, not exploitation. And since we kind of hit on the topic of parenting and and, uh, Isaac and Rebecca's role in this favoritism and how this played out and what we see in their boys, I want to just leave with leave you with one other kind of word of encouragement uh, from the New Testament to parents and kids. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 says this, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You know, out of the 10 commandments, that's the one that God makes that promise with. That's the point that Paul's making out there. There's a promise that, hey, yeah, honor your parents. It's going to go well with you in land. And so parents, conduct your household in a way where that's easy for your kids to do, where it's easy for them to honor you, not where it's hard for them to do that. But then he goes specifically to fathers here. And I think you could add mothers as well, but I think this is more of a challenge for fathers than mothers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger. Whether that be through showing partiality to a sibling or through acting harshly with them, don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I encourage you, church, those of you who are in the active process of raising children, I know it's hard. We're in the middle of it right now, too. But I encourage you, let's, let's try to do this. Let's point our kids to Christ. Let's point them to the truth of Scripture and the way that God wants them to be, including even how they treat each other. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's real. We thank you that it's real people that act and treat each other just like we're tempted to. And Lord, we thank you that through Jesus you showed us ultimately how we should treat each other. I thank you that Jesus did come, he did die on the cross, that he did pay the price for sin so that we can be restored to you, Father. Thank you for that price. Thank you for that gift. You're so good. Lord, I pray for anyone here or joining us online who, who needs to know the power of that resurrection, needs to know the power of your forgiveness, the power of your grace. Lord, I pray that right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you come into their life and show them what new life in you looks like. For those of us who do know you, I pray that we will be faithful in following you as followers of Christ. Shape us and mold us as you see fit, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series.
We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel